This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Totally pumped today to have a very special guest. His name is Shamiz Kachwala, and he is a vibrant health and nutrition teacher and holistic health and natural healing counselor. And today we're going to be talking about his own story of reversing ulcerative colitis and how he now helps many, many people with this condition and digestive disorders with his brother. The two of them have started High Carb Health, and the business has really taken off. He offers personal coaching to folks and has transformed the lives of many people with this condition. So not only are we going to talk about his story and and this condition and how it can be turned around, but we're also going to tap into his wisdom on weight stabilization. We're going to talk about digestive tips in general. We're going to talk about how to make fantastic foods using air fryers and other technology that can make our life more enjoyable and the foods more delicious. And just cover the sorts of things that are relevant to not just ulcerative colitis, but general health, and it's applicable to anyone with any kind of autoimmune disease. So welcome, Shamiz. What a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Clint. Well, I mean, it's absolutely amazing what you do, for one, and um, I'd just like to say, you know, congratulations to yourself and so many other people that have been able to reverse this autoimmune condition of um, RA, and and I think it's it's absolutely amazing what you guys do as well. And you know, we want the same goal to to kind of help people with their diet and nutrition and and be pain free. And uh, definitely, it's it's a pleasure to be here and to share my story because that's all all I'm about. I'm about to you know share my story as much as I can online, um, so that people can can get the message that you know you don't have to succumb to medications uh, in some cases and. And definitely um, be healthy and fit without uh, having to use the bathroom, in, in my case. Yeah, and um, you, you mentioned sharing your story a lot. The first time I heard your story was on stage. You and your brother gave a very, very powerful presentation. And it's the sort of presentation that I've given and the sort of time slot that I've got at many of these sort of health conferences and stuff over the years. And I thought this will be interesting rather than me getting up and telling my we always get called the patient's journey, don't we? Right. <laughs> yeah. So getting instead of it being my patient's journey, I got to introduce yourself. Your brother took the stage and one of your case studies that you've helped since recovering from this condition yourself. And I watched it with fascination. I'm like, this is this is insanely interesting. The lessons are interesting. Your sense of humor is great. So I thought, why not get you on the, the show to talk about not just your story, but all those other powerful uh, insights that you have? Because after you got off stage and you and I got chatting, you helped me learn some things that I didn't know. And it, sometimes months go by before I learn something new, or, but you just told me some new stuff right off the bat, and I'm like, this guy's sensational. So let's let's kick off. First of all, let's let's hear your story. Let's let's go through that. It's fascinating to people who who are who are listening in the car or, or watching this. It's a fascinating story, and I want you to make sure you also tie in a little background for us about what is ulcerative colitis, so that we don't skip over that that bake that the fundamentals as well. For sure, for sure. So it all started, uh, I think, in 2012 um, when I went over to Japan uh, to teach English. I got a job there, and um, it was actually 
amazing. I love Japanese people. I love Japanese culture. So it was a it was a great opportunity for me to to learn more about what they do and also give back um, to the Japanese culture because I um, went there straight after the tsunami and I thought you know what a what an awesome opportunity to help them and you know tidy up and clean up because we actually did that as volunteers um, over there. But it's it started off yeah I mean I didn't know anything about diet or lifestyle or anything like that so I was uh, you know eating the same kind of thing over and over again like any anyone else does and it basically you know we we don't understand you know what we eat sometimes I mean unless you really dive into the internet or you do some research you go um, from what your parents have told you and what their parents have said etc so diet was never really an issue for me until I started getting digestive issues and I was like, well, well, hang on a second, you know, what's going on here? And I felt really tired in the evenings when I used to come home from work and that that generally didn't happen to me. So I kind of just went to my local GP and I said, look, this is what's happening. So I was getting uh, blood in my stool Mm. and, uh, you know, that was quite concerning because, you know, you don't really see that um, in your stool when you go to the bathroom. So the GP said, look, we'll just, we'll get you checked. So they said, uh, we'll, we'll take you to hospital. So I went went to hospital um, and they examined me um, and they said, oh, we're going to need to do a colonoscopy. Um, so they did a colonoscopy uh, where they stick a camera up your bum, um, which isn't too pleasant. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they diagnosed me with mild colitis, which is in, inflammation of the bowel. And basically what that is, is it means that your bowel gets inflamed and um, you, you struggle to digest foods very well and you struggle to absorb certain nutrients and things. Um, I believe it's a, it's a condition that is due to animal products and we'll kind of dive into that a little bit later. But basically it's a, it's a disease of malnutrition um, or malnourishment and so your body fails to absorb things. So anyway, I, I, I was getting checked and, and they said, okay, we'll keep you in hospital for about a week because um, they want to observe me because I was obviously a foreigner as well. So they wanted to kind of see what was going on. So as the weeks went by, they also put me on anti-inflammatory drugs, which they always do for people with inflammation. Mm. And I think the drugs that your clients use or people with RA is quite similar to people with ulcerative colitis, which is interesting. So mesalazine, um, you know, uh, acetyl, um, the anti-inflammatory drugs they put me on, and also they put me on antibiotics because um, they thought I had an infection. Um, so as the weeks went by, I didn't really get any better. And the food in the hospital weeks was yeah, the weeks yeah, weeks went so by. So not the week Actually, that you were yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. So in that one week, I got I got worse, and so they said, okay, well, may as well just stay in hospital um, because you know they were like, oh, you know, you're not you're not well. And I said, okay, well, I'm getting worse. You know, what can you do? So obviously the dosage of the medication went up. Um, it went to steroids and prednisone, um, which you guys would probably know as well. Mm. And things, yes, things just didn't, didn't get better. And, and the food that they were giving me in hospital was, I think, raw eggs, some fish, miso soup, and congee, which is the rice porridge. And it's the Japanese kind of porridge, rice porridge that they do. So the food wasn't great. And I actually got worse after eating that food. So my bowel movements initially were about three to four times a day, which you know, I thought that was excessive at the time with blood. And after eating this food and after getting the drugs, it went up to seven to eight times a day. And, uh, you know, it wasn't getting any better. I started to get really weak. So I found it really hard to walk to the bathroom. And, um, you know, all this time I was Skyping my parents and, um, you know, I was saying, oh, no, I'm fine. They, the doctor's got me. You know, I'm sure I'll be out of here in the next week, you know, just looking at the time and calendar and stuff. So, Little did I know that I'd be 
spending the next four weeks in hospital <laughs> Wow! <laughs> because I just kept getting worse and worse. And, and um, they were back in New Zealand, right? Yeah, my parents were back in New Zealand for yes. sure. So I actually had to call them and say, look, actually, guys, you guys might need to come because um, I'm finding it very hard to kind of do my own thing. Mm. Yeah, so, I, you know, they came on the next flight over. Um, this was, I think, around the fourth week. Mm. At that time, I got a private room because I needed a bathroom right next to me. Mm. I couldn't, you know, walk um, to the bathroom. It was about 20 meters away mm. in the original room that I was in. So, yeah, everything started to get worse. And so, again, the dosage just went higher and higher. So, I ended up with, I think, 80 mg of prednisone. Um, oh, my Daily. Daily, yeah. Oh, yeah. my so goodness. That was, that was quite high and um, it still wasn't doing anything. Um, the meds hadn't um, worked um, and I was just kept going and going. And there was a point where, you know, I was going to the bathroom about 40 times a day and um, that was pretty horrific. I couldn't walk. I couldn't basically talk. You know, my parents, my mum had to clean me up. I was in nappies, lying in bed. So th- there were a lot, of, a lot of things going on. It was very traumatic. And there was one point where the doctors then kind of said, look, the medication's not working. We're going to have to cut your bowel out and uh, part, of, part of my bowel. So, so that was their last resort, basically. And, you know, my mom's like, hang on a second. He, you know, from week one, he's been in your care. And how's he gotten so much worse? You should be, he should be getting better. So, you know, why is it all of a sudden that you want to take his colon out, you know? So luckily, um, my mom said no to the surgery. And they had um, some other medications that they were going to use. Uh, I think they were trialing it at that time. It was um, tacrolimus, which is an immunosuppressant. So they gave me that. And funny enough, the immunosuppressant you know, suppressed my immune system. And from 40 times a day, I went to about I went 10 to 20 times a day in, in between that. Um, so it did calm my body down. But still, you know, I was going to the toilet with lots of blood. God. And so they, they wanted to refeed me because um, there was a point when they stopped feeding me. And I think that was, you know, I, I lost a lot of weight, 30 kilos, because I wasn't eating anything. I had a catheter in my neck. Uh, so I was getting about twelve to 1,600 calories from there. So, you know, all this time my mom was doing research, you know, is there a cure, is there, is there an alternative way to heal? And she found a book called Self-Healing Colitis and Crohn's. And this mm-hmm. book is, is a really good book. If you if you know anyone out there, please send them directly to this book. You can buy it from Amazon or whatever. But she found that book, and that was our hope. That was the biggest hope we've had um, in that in that five weeks that we were in hospital because there was nothing that was working. And so we read that book, and we basically, you know, applied some of the principles in that book, which was to, you know, start eating plant foods or whole foods or, you know, bananas and, and steamed vegetables. Um, so we started to do that. And I saw, I found that my body responded really well. And um, slowly, slowly, my bowel movement started to reduce. And my, freq- yeah, my frequency got less and the blood stopped as well. And so we were shocked and we were amazed. And we were like, it's working, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I did four colonoscopies in hospital to check because they, they were, you know, always checking my colon to see the inflammation levels. And at the fifth week, it was, you know, ulcerated. Nearly the whole thing was ulcerated. Lots of inflammation. So once I started to eat this way, obviously the inflammation started coming down. The ulcers started to go away. And the reason we knew that is because they did a colonoscopy at the end of that sixth week or the fifth week, starting by the sixth week. 
And they found that the houses had actually gone and the inflammation markers were very, very low. And they were testing my CRP. Um, and of course, you, you guys would know that as well. And so my CRP was really high, you know, in the middle of that, I think, fourth or fifth week um, as, going, as I was going 40 times a day. So it was really high. And so the only way that I could get discharged from hospital if that number went to normal. And luckily enough, the CRP levels went down. Obviously, there was no inflammation. And, you know, we'd been in hospital for such a long time that we just wanted to get out of there. Yeah. And we told the doctor, yeah. look, you know, this isn't, this isn't good. Um, he's lost a lot of weight, blah, blah, blah. And so he discharged us from hospital because of that, because my CRP levels were low and my other blood test results were okay. And, you know, the, the ulcerations had gone. And yeah, it was, it was an amazing journey um, ever since then. So I got discharged. I, came, I flew back to New Zealand. And I think that's when my healing journey began because mm. there were some ups and downs, obviously. You know, as you do, you make mistakes. You eat foods that you shouldn't. And, you know, it was a topsy-turvy um, couple of six months after I got back to New Zealand. You know, it was a, it was a great healing journey. I think I learned a lot about myself. Mm. But yeah, it did take a long time because, you know, you, you do have to work on your body. Mm. Um, and, you know, physically and mentally, it can be very hard sometimes. You'd, you'd probably know that as well. So overall, I think six to eight months where I could get my body back into shape. So that's, you know, exercising as well in that whole six to eight months. So I was back, back up and running after that. And that was, I think, early 2013 um, or mid-2013. And then ever since then, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, I haven't been on any medications since that day um, just because I didn't want to take it. And I actually forgot to mention that I stopped taking the immunosuppressants in hospital, which maybe I shouldn't have done that. But you know, it gave me a lot of confidence because I knew the side effects from those medications and they weren't necessarily something I wanted to take. And we don't, I wouldn't really advise doing that because it's not safe. You have to consult your doctor, but I just had nothing to lose and I wanted to get out of there. So that was my mission for that. So yeah, it's been over six years now, uh, medication free and, and symptom free, and it's been absolutely amazing. So mm. that's, that's my journey, I guess, up until now. How unusual is it with ulcerative colitis to not be on medications and to be symptom-free? Very unusual. <laughs> um, a lot of people do get scared of medication or coming off their meds because obviously medication does help in, in a certain way. But we at High Carb Health don't believe you should be on medication for the rest of your life. You know, there should be an alternative to that and or the true way of healing should be through diet. I mean, if you've got a digestive disease, it's definitely something that you're putting inside that, that's not working. So yeah, I think um, it is, it is un unusual not to be on medication, but you know it's it's amazing not to be on medication because you don't get any of the side effects, and you know I don't like those side effects. <laughs> Most definitely, and the medication, as you mentioned earlier, they're similar for other autoimmune diseases. So uh, whilst they might not be the exact drug, but thing basically immunosuppressant medication, right? Because we're talking about the body attacking itself, your mm -hmm. own body's attacking the colon and causing the inflammation. So we've got just a different target for the autoimmune attack. But I believe probably a very similar underlying cause with a broken digestive system, right? Eating the wrong foods, stress influences, bad microbiome, bad bacteria, so on, etc. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, all right. So you've come back, you've worked on yourself for the next sort of five, six months after getting out of hospital. What did that involve? Obviously, you had to put weight back on. 
did it involve lots more research? Just talk us, give us a, a summary of what you did during those six months. Definitely, it was definitely a sabbatical, as you call it, um, to heal myself. I mean, you have to give your body time, and if that means you have to take time off work, then so be it. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be with my folks, and they supported me one hundred and ten percent. They ate what we what I was eating. So the journey, uh, there was a lot of there was a lot involved with weight gain. Um, it's a tricky one because obviously, when your body is so malnourished, you know it is hard to rebound um, straight away. Um, because when you're eating a whole food plant based diet with low fat, you're not going to suddenly just you know gain the weight back, and it does take time. And what we generally say to people is that you know get your body to a state where it can function the best. And when that happens, you can start to exercise, you can start to, you know, move your body. And that can actually help with weight gain. Because when you start to develop your muscles, you will see that your body changes and you can actually put the weight back on with muscle gain as well. But, you know, food has a role to play as well. And um, when you do get into the higher calorie dense foods, that is also another way to to kind of get the weight um, back up. It's not something that we generally, you know, use as a tool to kind of move forward. We just say, look, you know, let your body do its work and the body mm-hmm. will do its work and it will get back to a healthy weight when it when it's, you know, ready to do that. Mm-hmm. Some people take two months, some people take four months. Um, it just depends on how severely damaged your body was before. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the foods, I think we like to use smoothies a lot because, mm-hmm. again, for the gut, um, blended foods, we believe are easy to digest because it's almost like it's been pre-chewed. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean you you smash the smoothie down and you, you drink it. You have to still chew it and let your saliva mix with it. So you know, adding dates and things to your smoothies can give you more calories, which should technically give you the, the weight gain a little bit. Yeah. A t- couple of things there. You touched briefly on the weight topic. Uh, let's flesh that out just a little bit more. And then sure. I want to rewind a little on the blended smoothie discussion so we get back to sort of your general approach that you take with or with folks. So with the weight stabilization, you know, you'd lost a lot of weight. I've also been through this experience. I did a raw food diet for eight months and during that time I lost a ton of weight. Um, I'm six foot two. I got down to 63 kilograms. So I was very extremely skinny. And my normal weight's between sort of 72, 75. That's where I've always been sort of ever since I've been an adult. So what I found is uh, that that it was absolutely a combination of the food and the exercise. And people uh, people ask questions frequently about how can I gain weight, but they have no part of their day require do they actually ask their muscles to do anything to demand growth? Because I seem to believe that the body's only going to have as much physical mass as it needs to meet your daily needs because if it's carrying anything extra, then it's either there for storage in fat, which we don't want, or it's muscle that needs nutrients and blood flow and consumes energy, but it's not being used. So it doesn't does, doesn't need that muscle and it abandons the muscle. So if we want more muscle, we have to say to our body, look, I'm demanding you to grow. These muscles, I demand these muscles to grow. Funnily enough, I was going to the gym and I, I've never been a heavy lifter, especially since my joints got damaged. I have to lift quite, you know, modest weights because of the joint uh, capacity to load. But I was able to gain several kilos. I want to say three or four kilos in just like three or four weeks, like a, a very, very wow. fast muscle growth with my main diet being rice and, and augmenting my calories with orange juice at each meal. Nice. 
Let's set aside the nutritional value of that, but just loading lots of calories and not a lot of protein, right? Just calories and easy to digest calories. I was able to gain rapid muscle growth, which which uh, took me through sort of into the from from like the mid sixties into the sort of the to nearly touch the seventy kilo. So obviously I was coming from a very low platform, and so it's totally doable. So I just wanted to throw that that in there. Um, and if there's well, anything you want to add think, to that, yeah, yeah, well, I think a lot of people, you know, have have the impression that protein is what grows muscles. Definitely, it's an important part for muscle growth and repair. But the harder you work your muscle, the bigger it's going to grow. Right. And majority of the people these days that are that are, are doing the bodybuilding, etc., whatever, it's it's another league. But they are, you know, they're using all sorts of animal proteins, which actually retain water in their in their muscles, and that's what makes them look really big and puffy. So if that's the look that you want, then so be it. But if you want true muscle, then you've got to work work really mm-hmm. hard for it. It's mm-hmm. not going to come easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do work hard, it will come easily. So mm-hmm. that's probably why it happened with yourself and, and you got that you know weight gain initially mm-hmm. because you worked on your body. And that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what counts. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to magically happen if you don't work for it. Mm-hmm. And obviously with the calories and the food that you eat, it's also very important. And like you said, it wasn't the protein that you were eating to gain the weight. It was the carbohydrates probably. Mm-hmm. And that's what was fueling your body, fueling your muscles to then be able to do the work even more. So mm-hmm. definitely I think um, weight gain is, is an issue also that we have in society because you think about everyone these days, you know, majority of the people are overweight. Yeah. And when you do look very lean, you look leaner than those people. And a healthy weight nowadays is not considered a healthy weight, is it? Because you look too skinny or whatever. Right, right. So there's there's a shift in perception that needs to happen within society that, you know, I mean, there's such a massive image issue out there at the moment, which I don't know how well that's going to go. But if you're feeling good and if you're doing all the right things, you know, being looking underweight is not necessarily a bad thing, okay? And you've got to realize that you're healthy on the inside. It's not about the outside. And you can do little things to gain the weight that you need to look as well as you should, but you have to work for it. It's not going to come easily. Yeah, I love that. I, I've, I've made similar observations in the past as well. The disparity these days between someone who's just slim and the average person is greater than ever before. I mean, let's rewind the clock. I imagine that a few hundred years ago in, say, rural China, where the the gentlemen out uh, doing their rice fields work every day, I mean, they're thin, right? They're eating rice and vegetables every day. They're working on their fields each day. If we stereotype a a little and generalise a little, but we get the picture, right? So, I mean, even when we visited to Bali and so forth and we stay in areas outside of the tourist areas, I had the opportunity to go and actually help in a rice field, in a rice paddy um, with one of the locals down there. I mean, we're talking like some slim people, yeah, healthy, slim, bend, bending over all day with their back bent, no complaints. I mean, yeah, so I, I really appreciate that insight because, man, there's some large people. And also the other aspect is that 
family members, if they see you lost even one kilo, they think the world's collapsed and, oh, no, there must be something wrong with you. We falsely associate weight loss with dis- disease, you know? Yes, definitely, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've had that in my family as well because yeah. I also went down to a low weight and yeah. many of our clients, clients do lose a lot of weight because yeah. they're, they're getting rid of a lot of toxicity that's in their body. And, yes. um it, it's not a good image, but yeah. it's not about the image. It's about the inside that counts. And if yes. the inside is healthy, then the outside yes. will automatically be healthy as well. So you've just got to be patient and understand that, look, the people around you are probably not as healthy as you. And, you know, it's just focus on yourself. Don't worry about other people and don't worry about what other people think of you. That's one yeah. of the, the biggest things that I have to say to a lot of people. And I had to say that to myself because I cared, what, I cared about what other people thought about me and the way I looked. But as soon as I got rid of that, I enjoy, started enjoying my life, and that's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your the clients that you help and how you do it. Um, obviously, you've got your um, – uh, there's a, probably a vast level of detail that goes in, into this when you're working with one-on-one with people and you make probably a very um, bespoke program for them based on their specific needs. But can you give us the, the general – outline all all the the steps involved when someone comes to you tell us what it's like what 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 is the average person who comes to you what state are they in what sort of drugs are they on what are they hoping to achieve and how do you help them for sure um definitely i think the more and more people that search online i think um see some of my my videos and they go to our website early on it was very interesting because we would get people that had done everything and then you know, we were the last resort and we were still healing them. And that was very interesting because if they had done every little thing out there and they came to us and they still got healed, it's like, what would have happened if they came to us first? Would they have healed a lot faster? Who knows? Mm, yeah. But most people come to us when they've tried everything, whether it's paleo, whether it's high carb, it's low fat or whatever extreme diet they go on to try and find an answer. And we generally tell them, look, all these things are not sustainable. You have to look at a sustainable diet and you have to look at the science. And that's essentially what we do. When we first sign them up, we say, this is the evidence. This is what you're going to put yourself through. Are you okay with it? Okay, Because in the end, we will help people help themselves. So it's a big kind of giving them the power to heal their bodies and the motivation that we give them the the progression of you know what they eat has been monitored so that's generally how our program works is that we'll we'll get them and tell them and educate them about why this food is going to help them why it's beneficial for the gut and then as they go along as they understand all these things we will monitor them and make sure that they're doing all these all the right things and tweak their diets here and there if they start feeling better then we might introduce some other foods but generally at the start it's a very basic plan. Some people, we need to transition them to a whole food plant-based yeah. diet. So they may still be eating a little bit of meat here and there um, just so their bodies get used to the more fiber from the plant foods. Some people, they need to go straight on to what's called the healing diet, the vegan healing diet. And that involves you know, juicing, it involves some smoothies, steamed vegetables, um, very, very basic, simple foods. Mm. And as they go on, um, they start to see that their body actually responds really well. Their gut microbiome starts changing. We don't generally use any kind of probiotics. 
um, because we believe that the fiber from the plant foods have the prebiotic ability and uh, that, that changes your gut microbiome a lot better. You shouldn't really have to rely on probiotics um, to fix your gut. It should replace itself um, with the plant foods. Yeah, I love that. That, that. Yeah, that's fascinating. A couple of things. You mentioned in your presentation at the conference we met at about the use of spotty bananas. Do you use that with clients? And if not, can you just explain why I've brought this up and how it was helpful for you? Yeah, sure. So we believe that uh, ripe fruit uh, are beneficial for the gut because they're very soft um, and the soft fiber really soothes the intestinal walls um, when they can be very inflamed and tender and sensitive. So the reason why spotty bananas is because spotty bananas are ripe. When you see a banana, it's generally greenish yellow and you kind of, that's what you've, you've been told to eat or that's what you actually think tastes good. But when you start to eat the more riper bananas, you kind of change your taste buds and it kind of becomes a lot sweeter. And, and you see the, the, the effect of the, the ripe banana with your digestion. And so we started to do this with ourselves and we said, oh, well, hang on a second, these bananas actually taste really good. They don't, they're not very rubbery and they don't have that starchy, gluey taste to them where, you know, the, the, the banana, spotty banana is already pre-digested. So the sugars mm. in the banana have already been pre-digested. So what happens is the tree, when it comes off the tree, it's, it's nice and ripe. And that's what we obviously want to eat. We don't want to eat an unripe fruit. Mm. It goes for all kinds of fruit. Right. And so we use that to basically soothe the gut and, and or, you know, we tell people to eat that so that they can soothe their guts and allow the food to pass through in a much smooth and like easier fashion. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. And you're right. Um, this is one of the things that we talked about uh, off stage uh, about, you know, and I'm like, but I find it hard to eat the spotty bananas. And you said, whack them in the smoothie, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when you when you do blend them, it's a lot easier to eat. I mean, when I eat a banana, I will eat it um, not as ripe because it's just easier to eat. It'll stay in its place and it won't get squashed. Yeah. So when you're eating it, maybe a few spots here and there. When you're smoothing it, a bit more spots. So it's easier to kind of blend. And also, when there's more dots on there, when when the banana is a bit more ripe, the sugars actually there's more nutrients in that banana. Um, because sugar is actually a nutrient from, from fruit. It's actually a nutrient. And so the more sugar some, the fruit has in it, we believe the better it is for, for digestion and for uh, nutrient absorption. I, I'm loving this stuff about the specific foods, but you, I want to not overlook something you said right at the start about the disease you believe is, mal, is through malnutrition. Now, just to put a preframe on this, with rheumatoid arthritis, the general consensus and what my understanding of the science is, is that malnutrition also is present in most people with RA. So people with RA have been tested, and I reference this in my book and my guide for rheumatologists, that most folks are malnourished. Now, my thoughts around this is that because a lot of absorption of nutrients occurs in the mucosal lining of the colon, which is where the bacteria exist, and if we've lost or shredded somehow or have a depleted mucosal lining, that would lead to malnutrition. So I've made the extra analytical step of thinking, well, maybe that's physically because of a depleted mucosal lining as just one theory. Now, 
Do you feel that that's accurate? Do you think that that's possible? Or with ulcerative colitis, do you believe there's a different probable underlying cause for this malnourishment? Well, yeah, it's a good question. I think all diseases probably do stem from the gut. Um, and I think, you know, we, we look past that a lot and we obviously just eat anything that we, we want. And unfortunately, that causes us, you know, a whole heap of problems. And I think you are right in a way that, you know, the mucosal lining is very important. And I think from the science that's been studied, you know, you can see that, that that's what they're looking at. And they're looking at the gut a lot more now. So the information that we kind of have researched and done is from Dr. David Klein, who then researched from Dr. Herbert Shelton. Um, and he came up with this information a long, long time ago. And he found that it worked with his patients. And Dr. Klein then, you know, started implementing it to himself, I think, 30 odd years ago. So he's been helping clients do that for 30 odd years now. And so he believes that the colon uh, gets ulcerated because of toxicity. And toxicity comes from animal products mm -hmm. because what happens then is that the animal products start fermenting and rotting in our, our guts. And when that rotting and putrefaction happens, there's a whole lot of toxicity that comes out and there's all sorts of gases and toxic byproducts that these foods uh, create in our gut. And that starts to leach into the intestinal walls and damages our walls. And so therefore the gut doesn't work properly. And so it keeps getting filled full of these foods that you know, are toxic to our bodies. And that toxicity then starts entering our bloodstream. And that's when it can go really, really wrong. And once that those those uh, uh, bad bacteria and the proteins on the on the lining of the bad bacteria start to trigger an immune response, right, and the body mm. starts to get that cross reactivity with the bowel. Mm, correct, correct, correct. And yeah. so, and so, yeah, we then try to stop that from happening or cleanse the body so that all that toxic fecal matter can start to come out. Yeah. And that's why, you know, with ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. A lot of people do get a lot of diarrhea when they get into a flare. Um, mm. We like to call it a healing crisis because the body is actually enacting a healing process to try and rid the body of any kind of toxic material. So just the way you kind of get food poisoning, your body reacts and it, and it creates diarrhea to get rid of all the bacteria and something bad that you probably ate. Mm. So it's a really good response and we believe that that response should be allowed to happen so that the body can actually cleanse and clean and heal itself. So that's why, you know, when you go on a juice cleanse or, you know, when you go on just fruit, for example, you will notice that your digestion or your symptoms increase. Is that um, right? But, but so, then they start to get better, yeah. Right. And did you witness this yourself as well as you started to transition? Well, interesting. That, in in mm. my case, yeah, in my case, it started to get better. Straight away, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why. Maybe it was my mental attitude just to right. get out of there um, mm. because the, the mind has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, it's not just the food. But I think I didn't eat for a while, for quite a long while. And as soon as I started to nourish my body with these foods, I think my mm. body responded really Quickly. well. Maybe that yeah. fasting period actually did some good and then you were ready for correct. food. Yeah. Correct, correct. Well, I say sometimes that I was fasting on drugs <laughs> yeah. because I was still taking a medication. Um, so I wasn't quite fasting. But yes, mm. I was drinking a whole lot of water, probably about three or four liters a day. Mm. And yeah, my body was cleansing quite a lot. Mm. I can yeah. see why people need to have personal support when they're going through this healing process when they shift across to the, the approach that you recommend because 
if they were to quickly see some more bloodiness in the stool, the first response would be, well, whatever I just ate, I definitely do not ever want to be eating again. And without the support and guidance and encouragement and reassurance, I mean, that it would be very hard to stay on those foods. So how long does that normally take before that passes, that period of healing crisis? Yeah, correct. It can be very scary for some people because, you know, a lot of people try and do, do it by themselves. And, mm. you know, I try to tell people on YouTube, you know, just take it slow because obviously I have a channel as well. Mm. And um, I talk about my experiences and other clients' experiences. Um, but it can be very scary. And um, when you don't know uh, what's going on with your body and if it's mm. doing the right thing or not, it can be very hard to stick to it. And that's why a lot of people don't like to eat fruit when they get digestive disease. Mm. But it, it's never the fruit's fault. It's it's always something inside of you that your body is actually trying to cleanse and, and clean out. So I think definitely the support is really important. And, um, you know, we, as, as you said before, we like to support them and, and kind of tell them that, look, this is what your body will go through when you start eating cleaner. And, and that's why we have the transition process in place to try and kind of counter that becoming worse before you get better. Mm. Uh, sometimes it doesn't necessarily work that well, the transition phase, so we kind of just have to go through it. Mm. And how long does it take people? It depends on how severe their case is. Mm. Some people um, may have what's called pancolitis, which means that the whole colon is damaged. Some people might just have proctitis, which is the rectum that's, you know, inflamed. Um, so it can vary to, from person to person. And the people that really succeed are the people that understand what their body's doing. And their mindset is like, I know what's going on. I can do this. Mm. So generally, I mean, if I to, to average it up, um, I think around three to four months, people do go through a period of detox, mm -hmm. a healing crisis. So mm. sometimes it can be that long. Sometimes it can be even longer. Mm. But generally, yeah, around three to four months before they start to see some progress and improvement. Right. And so not to alarm people, but, uh, you know, to suggest that uh, going through this process will at first make things like a lot worse. So we want to set the expectations that if someone is to follow your approach, they are going to experience potentially some some results in their stool that at first aren't what they're after. They might see continued bloodiness, even though they thought that it might be instant resolved. Um, but after a few months, that bloodiness will start to dissipate and it just an overall feeling of improved digestion, Correct, yeah. less toilet visits and so on is likely. Correct. And so I think the first thing that a lot of people do realize is that they have a lot more energy coming from a diet that's, you know, very poor in digestion. Mm. They first kind of feel, oh, well, I feel a lot lighter. So that's mm. probably the first thing that you're going to notice. A clear mind as well. Mm. And and de definitely um, you will feel better, but yes. your body may physically feel worse. And it's kind of like, what's going on here? And that's where, you you know, you need to have yeah. that assur reassurance. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's head towards the finish line here with some uh, digestion tips. Uh, you mentioned fruit. Do you have any tips around that? And then I also want you to talk about fats. And I hope that I have the majority of our audience who started watching this still with us because this next portion has been really, really insightful around the digestion of fats and the, and the grouping of, of fats with other foods. Can you talk through sugars, fats, and, and where they should be put in our meals? 
For sure. Um, I think in terms of fruit, we would recommend always eat fruit on an empty stomach. Um, it's just going to digest a whole lot better for you. For example, watermelon. Um, obviously, it's you know it's back in the summer, but you know there's still a lot of melons out, and people like to have melons for dessert or melons just any time of day, when, especially in the afternoon because it gets hot. Mm. Um, but if you really want good digestion, you want to make sure that you always eat fruit before anything. So just start your day off with fruit. Um, it's as simple as that. And try to avoid fruit, you know, in the evenings or in the afternoon after anything or after dinner or after lunch. And that's going to be your your best kind of ticket to getting a healthier gut is, is just start off with fruit in the morning. I and my daughter, but particularly me, have learnt the very hard way about having watermelon in particular after a main meal, specifically evening meals. And I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but obviously having had a long history of of rheumatoid arthritis diagnosed in 2006, obviously I've had digestive issues prior to that and, and working on them ever, ever since. So I've got that susceptibility to having a, a pretty only average digestive system, right? So, And this happened a lot in the United States last year and I couldn't work it out, but I was waking up with abdominal cramping and it was awful and it would always be between about two and three in the morning. So I'd have dinner at six to seven Two or three in the morning, oh my God, it would begin. And I used to think, is it because I was sleeping on my side and my, my thigh was squashing my abdomen, blocking progress of food, all these things. And then I worked out. It was because I was having fruit after my meal. And although that doesn't sound like a big crime, it was causing massive problems for me. And yeah. then my daughter, just only a few months ago, ate watermelon, a lot of it, after her meal, and that night she was complaining of tummy pains and stuff. So anyway, I'm sure yeah, this relates. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's interesting because watermelon is basically just water, um, and it's very, very easy to digest. It's very, very fast in digestion. And we believe it takes uh, you know, around 45 minutes to leave the stomach and get into your small intestine. That's how fast it digests because it's, you're pretty much just eating water. Right. So when you eat something like that after a heavy meal, you know, or any kind of meal, you you need to understand that those the fiber from the fruit and the sugars from the fruit will get held up by the cooked food that you eat, um, or any kind of meal that you eat. That's bread, pasta, you know, any anything, rice. And the reason why is because your body has different transient times when it digests different foods. Now, fruit is a is a separate category. It's it's in its raw natural state. Um, it's very easy to digest and it doesn't take very long to digest. And so what happens is the sugars, they start to ferment because the cooked foods, the, the breads, the pastas, the rice, they take maybe 10 hours plus to digest. So when you're mixing the two together, the fruit always gets held up. And so when the fruit gets held up, it starts to ferment and it starts to create gas. And generally, the underlying cause of cramping is gas and bloating and, and all sorts of pain and, and you know, you, you get all that in your, in your intestines and your stomach um, or in the abdominal area. So that's one of the reasons why a lot of people do find that they get bloated after eating fruit because they eat it at the wrong times. Mm. So if you just simply always eat fruit on an empty stomach or always in the morning, you will find that that issue kind of just goes away. Um, and fruit and fiber is fine if we put in a, in a green smoothie, we have fruit and leafy greens, we're all good. Yeah, correct. So leafy greens are, you know, an exception. Um, things like cucumber, celery, lettuce, kale, silver beet. All these foods they actually aid fruit digestion. Oh, 
So you're actually going to make it better for you if you do eat it with fruit. That's a little bit more of an in-depth topic that we can go on about. But um, there are some kind of what's called food combining principles that actually work. I mean, there's not really much science behind it, but there's a lot of um, anecdotal evidence around how people feel when they uh, digest different fruits. Okay, fabulous. Now let's talk about fat. And this this was a game changer for me. I love this one. Okay, correct. So fat and sugar uh, don't really mix very well. Um, As I said before, one is going to hold up the other. And fat takes quite a while to break down in our system. And it doesn't like being mixed with sugar. So you really want to keep them apart as much as you can. You don't want to put, you know, chia seeds because chia seeds are actually quite high in fat. And it's you can get your omegas in different ways. Um, you don't need to have them with fruit. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they do mix a lot of nuts and seeds with their smoothie bowls, for example. And when I see that, I'm like, uh-oh, you're ca- going to cause your body a lot of distress. And, you know, some people don't understand that. Some people don't know why they're getting all these digestive issues. And sometimes I can just look at the Instagram pictures, for example, and be like, oh, well, that's probably why you're getting digestive issues. And so, you know, if you do take out the nuts and the seeds and you, you eat them separately, you may find a huge difference um, in your digestion. You may not get bloated. And just keeping the fat separate from the sugar is, is a probably a really good idea as well. In terms of practically doing that, would that mean that, for example, if we were able to, in our graduation of foods, be able to tolerate nuts and seeds, which a lot of people with digestive issues find are a little bit down the track. Um, But when they're able to do that, you would recommend that we separate those so that at breakfast, if we're having, you know, a smoothie or fruit, or if we're further advanced, maybe some oatmeal or something, then later on, maybe mid-morning, have some seeds as a snack, like a trail mix kind of vibe. Uh, I mean, that would look a little bit more palatable to to the stomach, wouldn't it? Correct. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, your body's going to thank you for it uh, by not mixing them for one. I would actually recommend maybe some nuts and seeds in the evening because for, for us, when we look at the digestive system, we think that the fats are the hardest to break down and the, the you know they take longest to digest. So when you're eating them towards the evening, you don't really have to do anything in the evening. You just relax and then you obviously go to sleep. Whereas if you, you know try and eat some nuts in the daytime, you may feel a little bit more sluggish. Mm. So an easy way is just to, to do it yourself and see if you eat the nuts and seeds later on in the evening before your dinner or with your dinner, you may find that your mood and your energy levels you know, are a lot better throughout the day, mm. for example. So that's just, that's just um, personal experience from my end and mm. you, know, you can give it a go and see how it goes. Uh, mm. You may find that it helps you as well. So specifically, you would not recommend putting chia or flax into a smoothie with, a, with fruit? Correct. Yeah, you can put it on your potatoes or any other kind of food that you eat, but I'll stay away from the fruits. Yeah, it's just a, it's not a good food combination to, to mix those two together. And yeah, it used to send me to the bathroom relentlessly. So I used to have flax in my smoothies because I was just going through website Google top listing number one as to you know anti-inflammatory effects of ground flaxseed in my smoothies. Uh, and I must add that there are some advocates of this, uh, very strong advocates of this uh, amongst our, some of our, our plant-based colleagues uh, who have large followings. But I personally found tremendous relief once I took flaxseed out of my smoothies. And when I say tremendous, not just going to the bathroom, like almost violently after those kind of smoothies, 
but in my pain. And it was one of the great breakthroughs for me. It was removing flax from my smoothies and taking oils off my salads, which were two of the greatest breakthroughs for my progress with rheumatoid arthritis. And so I think, you know, speaking now with my, for my clients, personally, I think there's two things going on. One is the lesson I've learned from you. It's the order in which the body tries to digest the fats and the sugars. And I think that when you've got an autoimmune disease, you inherently have a weak digestion and therefore we don't want to be making that mistake. But I did not know that. The other is that when we have an autoimmune disease, it takes for many of us, certainly personally speaking and many of my clients, a long time to break down any fats, healthy or not. Just high fat foods just take a little more effort Going back to what you said a moment ago, they're the hardest type of nutrient to break down. And when you've got a weak digestion, that's the one that stirs the inflammation up in so many folks. And so I keep it very low fat for a period of time. And then people test fatty foods or, you know, things like nuts or seeds uh, into their diet at a later date, but not to begin with. It's just too much. Would you agree? Correct. Absolutely agree with that. And that's what we recommend as well. You know, try and like give your body a rest and a break um, to digest the, the optimal for digestion initially, especially when your gut is very sore, and then you know see how you go with re- reintroducing the fats. So you don't have to necessarily introduce them. That you, you can get your fats from other foods, especially nuts and seeds, because they are you know a little bit more harsh. I would recommend maybe some avocado for someone that's yeah. coming out of the the post healing phase. You know, for example that's going to be a lot softer than, you know, crushing the nuts. Because when we when we eat nuts and seeds, we don't generally crush them up as well as we'd like in our mouths. And so there, there will be pointy edges and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So that will kind of irritate you a lot more Yes, if your gut is still kind of in that limbo zone of, of being post-healing. So try the avocado first, uh, you know, not the nuts and seeds. Do you have a uh, strong feeling or opinion about the importance of the omega-3 and omega-6 ratio or like my experience have you just sort of seen that the body just tends to heal and understand the fats inherently without having to specifically target omega-3 omega-3 which of course requires flax seeds chia seeds all the time trying to get that right very interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, no, I, I completely agree with you in terms of the body will sort itself out. And, um, you know, for example, you know, potatoes, when they, you know, they have short-chain fatty acids as well. As our friend, you know, Andrew Taylor knows that mm. he was getting his all his omegas and his ratio was completely fine by just eating potatoes. So the addition of these foods, you can use them, but just know that, you know, if you are eating a variety, you are getting your ratio and you are getting both. And, that's that's the main thing really is is not not worrying about one nutrient specifically and just understanding that yes if you do eat a variety and if you eat enough food your body will deal with everything that it needs and and you have to go through that healing process first and this is what we do say to a lot of people is that heal your body first before you think about absorption or digestion or assimilation with nutrients you know you have to be able to heal first um, and then allow your body to absorb specific things. You can't have an inflamed gut and be like, oh, I need this for my body and I need that for my body. So I'm going to start eating, say, raw you know, greens, for example, which is just going to you know, ultimately irritate your body more. And you're going to go, why, why isn't this working? So heal your body first with the soft foods. Let it absorb after. Mm, yeah, love it. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening that uh, would like to reach out to you and, and find out more. 
I know that we could chat for a long time, but I want to respect your um, respect your time. You've got um, High Carb Health as your platform where you uh, help people. I've been to your website, very slick-looking website, very nice. Congratulations on that. Can people go there? Can they book one-on-one consultations with you, even if they don't have ulcerative colitis, if they've just if they just want some more guidance around food combining and digestion? Oh, no doubt. Um, I do a free 30-minute consult for anyone that um, wants to come talk about digestive health. Um, they can go to our website and just fill out the health server that we have, and um, that'll flick you onto our newsletter as well um, if you want, and you can unsubscribe as many times as you want. <laughs> whenever you want. Um, but if you fill out that health survey, then I can kind of get a, a background health history of what's been going on, a little summary of that. And then I'll know, you know, what you can do and talk to you about how you can improve. But you can, yeah, you can go to our website um, and you, you'll see that health survey. You can also go on to our YouTube channel. Um, we have a lot of information on that, a lot of interviews with other doctors and, and what they have to say about whole food plant-based and a lot of my experiences and what I eat you know, in a day. And there's a lot of videos like that out there. So yeah, Instagram as well is, is another one where you can follow me on. I use that a lot to kind of tell you what day-to-day living is like for me, what I eat, what I do and how I do it. And there are some recipes as well on our YouTube channel and website, which you can check out all whole food plant-based and, and low in fat, which, you know, is always going to benefit. But yeah, just sharing my stuff on social media. And, and if you'd like to follow me, feel free. It's just high carb health. Yeah. I love your Instagram. That's where I've spent a bit of time uh, scrolling through your recipes. One thing that's caught my attention uh, that you do that has, you know, actually caused conversations between my wife and I is your use of the delicious looking air fried potatoes and i mean like i love potatoes and the way that you have those prepared and put those on instagram and i've watched one of your youtube videos on how you actually uh use the air fryer to to make those uh please go and everyone go check out high carb health potatoes they are off the charts no oil of course no oil and there are these wonderful Indian-style um, plates with the big uh, metal plates with all the food laid out. I mean, it looks just like uh, spectacular. So um, I've been talking to Melissa about getting this air fryer, and she's like, fine, you can go and get the air fryer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, one of the air fryers, one of the ones that I would recommend would be the Philips. I'm not sponsored here, but it's just a really good air fryer, and, and it's a big one too, so you can fit quite a lot of stuff if you have a family yeah, you know, I think it's it's like a little mini oven with a fan in it, so it really just recirculates the heat really well. And honestly, you can get golden crispy fries um, without using oil, and it's absolutely delicious. I actually have a recipe on my Instagram as well. You can go see some of the stories on there. There's potatoes three ways. Um, you can boil them, you can mash them, and then you bake them. Well, it's four ways, and then you can uh, air fry them so they get nice and crispy. So there's there's a, a whole range of ways of making potatoes. Yeah. And who doesn't love potatoes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we've wet the appetite there for folks, and uh, they should go out and um, check that check out that uh, that Instagram page and the YouTube videos and so forth. Look, I really want to thank you for your time. Uh, we've just hit the uh, the sixty minute mark, so um, you've been very generous with sharing with us, and uh, I can't wait to see you at another conference or something and, and help you in any way I can. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing what you're doing, doing fantastic work. Likewise, Clint, thank you so much for having me and um, keep doing what you're doing as well. It's amazing. You've been listening to The Patterson Program. 
For more information, visit pattisonprogram.com.